Hello and welcome to the Arsenal Beat. As we enter May with Arsenal favourites for a top four space, Mikel Arteta's side continue to do the business in the race to return to the Champions League. A 2-1 win at West Ham on Sunday kept those aspirations in Arsenal's hand as their small squad once again came through. I'm Simon Collings from the Evening Standard and my guests today are Charles Watts of Goal and the Athletics Art de Roche. We will be looking back over the win at the London Stadium and reminisce on just what Arsenal have been missing without Champions League football before wrapping things up with a round of guests, the Gooner. Hopefully not the same controversy we had last time out. We'll begin, guys, though, with the win at West Ham for Arsenal. Um, Charles, we'll come to you. This was obviously your, your first game back after having some time off. Um, a nice stress-free afternoon and a calm game to come back to or the exact opposite? Um, I'd say probably the exact opposite. If you ask James <laughs> Ollie, he was unfortunate enough to be sitting next to me in the press box at London Stadium. It was, uh, yeah, definitely wasn't stress-free. I don't think Arsenal, certainly in the first half, covered themselves in much glory, did they, with their performance. But the old cliche of at this stage of the season, performance doesn't really matter if you get the results and Arsenal got exactly what they went went there for. They did improve in the second half as well, didn't they? I thought they were, you know, after Gabriel giving them the, giving them the lead again in the second half, they kind of held West Ham at arm's length relatively comfortably. I don't think Ramsdale really had to make a save. So it, it wasn't the best of performances. They were pretty, I don't know if, I mean, it's easy to say the tension got to them or the nerves got to them after what Tottenham had done, obviously getting the win against Leicester. Maybe that affected them in the, in the first half. You know, it's, it's impossible to say if that is actually the case or not, but they did look a little bit kind of nervy, didn't really know how to approach a game in that first half. And there were some real uncharacteristic errors and they were sloppy in possession, even players like Granite, who, you know, rarely misplaces a pass. So, yeah, it wasn't the best of performances, but at the end of the day, they got exactly what they went to the London Stadium for. Mm. I mean, particularly that first half hour, um, I think I sent a, sent a tweet saying, you know, just astounded by the number of sort of loose passes and how it was a game that was very, very flat. And it did admittedly spark into life after that. But but what did you make uh, of the, or particularly that first sort of 25, 30 minutes, given everything that was at stake for Arsenal, it seemed quite flat from them, really. It was poor. I think both teams, <laughs> <laughs> I think across the board, even if you remember from kickoff, I think Ramsdale hits it long and then, I can't remember who tried to head it back to Fabianski, but even in that moment, there was a mistake and it led to Arsenal getting a corner in, what, 30 seconds of the game kicking off. And I think there was just no rhythm whatsoever, no zip to Arsenal's play, which you'd expect to see even when games are a bit more chaotic than Mikel Arteta would like. And I think, yeah, it was just quite a strange one. I think going into the game, a lot of people were saying, of course, Arsenal having almost, I guess, a week, maybe more of rest would be beneficial. But I think on the flip side of that, you also see sometimes you just lack a bit of that match rhythm that you have when you are playing back-to-back games every few days, like like Arsenal had against um, Chelsea and then Manchester United the week before. Um, So I think when (laughs) it's almost kind of dangerous to say, oh, the match is going to go this way because Arsenal had so much rest and then it almost goes the complete opposite way. Um, it just kind of showed with how sloppy they were on the board, them and West Ham. Um, it just showed how important those set-piece goals 
are becoming for them because um, if they didn't have those, then it could have been a very sticky afternoon. Mm. We've, we've seen it a few times this season, Charles, perhaps even more so, I think, since the turn of the year. I'm thinking back to like that game at Wolves um, where Arsenal have won ugly and sort of dug deep and ground results out. It's, I mean, how different has that been from other seasons, Charles? Particularly, you know, I'm thinking of... It used to be the stick that Arsenal were beaten with was that they were mentally weak and you could sort of rough them up. And when the going got tough, they didn't really get going. Have they got rid of that that stigma this season? I think they're certainly on their way to. Yeah, you talk about some of those games, the Wolves game. I think there's a Villa game as well, wasn't there? Um, the the 1-0 where they sort of dug that out. They played pretty well in the first half of Villa, actually, didn't they? And then they kind of dug it out in the second. And then yeah, they definitely did that against West Ham. And you know, they're winning away games with a lot of regularity at the moment. And that is not something you could always say with Arsenal, certainly for the last decade or so. So there is, they've, they've added that to their game and it's a really important thing because I don't think they'd be where they are in their league now if they, if they didn't, if they didn't have that. And, um, you know, credit to Mikel Arteta, credit to the players for doing it. They've, they've found ways to win when they need to, like you said, it was two set pieces at the weekend. Um, you know, when the strikers say when the strikers aren't scoring, the strikers don't score when it comes to Arsenal. But um, so they have to find other ways of scoring goals, and they're doing that. I mean, I think that's four Premier League goals for Gabriel now. He, you know, he's come up clutch a few times, and that's a really useful weapon to have. And you know, Nicholas Yeva uh, is is doing a job. I'm sure there's a deep dive athletic piece in there somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> there's a few out there. There's yeah, a few out there. Um, and it's credit it's, it's, I think again that sort of points back to the way Mikel prepares his team and sort of prepares for all circumstances and he knows that if they're, they're not going to win one way if they're not playing at the best one way they've got another weapon in their arsenal and, and they've clearly got that with, with set pieces this season Yeah Art, we got to um, return to the mix zone on on Sunday, which is was given COVID, we haven't had much an opportunity to do that at all. And um, got the chance to speak to Rob Holding. You can obviously read some of that on the Athletic Arts written. I've done some stuff today for the Standard. But on Holding Art, he's a bit like El Nene in that sort of position where his value, I think we've seen in the past few weeks, um, at being able to come in and perform, you know, with a little game time, shouldn't really be overlooked. And do you think we're now seeing perhaps what Arsenal need to do throughout the squad is have more players like this who are good people around the dressing room, um, you know, help the atmosphere, but also when there's an issue, you can throw them straight in and not have any concerns that they'll be able to step up. Yeah, I think it's all about the all-round package and Rob Holden's probably the prime example of that. Even, say, if you rewind almost, say... 13, 14 months when he signed his new contract. I think a lot of people might have been surprised by that because he is not, say, the typical Mikel Arteta centre-back like, say, Gabriel or Ben White who are able to um, play that ball-playing role a bit more comfortably. But even at that point, when you speak to people about him, they will mention how influential he is in that dressing room. And I think you see that not just in the way he carries himself say on the pitch where you can rely on him to do a job but when you think back to say December when um, I believe it was Nicolas Pepe and Nuno Tavares who uh, were targeted by racial abuse at Leeds he was the one 
that stepped up and and um and let the officials know and then it was dealt with that night um and then of course performances have to align with that and luckily they have this season for Arsenal when I know you mentioned it to him uh Simon when he comes on for those late cameos and does the five three two, I think that's something Arsenal fans have enjoyed. Um, but also that ability to just grind out results, I think he's helped with that massively. Um, and yes, it's good to see the squad squad players actually having an, an impact because I think when people look at players in, I guess, modern day football the modern day football fan they probably think every player has to be a starting player or they're worthless but um I think in say Rob Holden El Nene you're seeing the value of having competent squad players at least I don't understand some of the grief that Rob Holden gets I think he's been such a good signing for Arsenal over the years I mean what he cost two and a half million wasn't it something like that and what he's gone on to do played such a key role in a couple of FA Cup wins he's still a really important member of the squad like you said, he can come in, like you know, at Arteta's call and perform pretty well. He's a really solid Premier League centre back, and he's, he, you know, I I would not at all consider selling him this summer. I mean, they're going he's going to be even more important next season with European football definitely now guaranteed, whatever competition it's in. And um, these are sort of players that Arsenal have to have in their squad, one hundred percent reliable, good behind the scenes. You talk about grinding. Remember the, the game at Wolves when he came on. In the one nil, I think it won like six headers in twenty minutes when Wolves were peppering Arsenal trying to get back, and it was so so important. And he's no he's no world beater, he's no Cannavaro, let's put it that way, <laughs> like, like the song suggests. But he is a very very solid defender, really good squad player who can do it when you know called upon in the starting eleven in the Premier League. He's really really important. I think as well, it was interesting. I mean, he wasn't as he wasn't as vociferous as El Nene when we spoke to him in the mix zone where El Nene was basically saying, you know, just put the contract in front of me, I'll sign it. But we did sort of ask Holding about, you know, the lack of minutes and Saliba coming back and he wasn't sort of accepting, you know, I'm happy to play and sit on the bench. But his attitude was one of, you know, I've been here years, there's been loads of centre-backs, I've always stayed and fought for my place. And I think there is a value in having players who are, partly accepting of being squad players, but also willing to fight for their place. And I don't think it's any coincidence that as Arsenal have trimmed down the squad and got rid of certain players, that the atmosphere is better. And, you know, Holding's going to be carrying himself as he was during the mix zone when he's got that new hairline, those new teeth. I don't <laughs> think there's any reason. I think anyone would be walking with a bit of a strut if you were like that. Um, but another player who's, who's, you know, stocks have risen uh, is Eddie Nketiah, Charles. Um, I think you were possibly even on the pod and certainly in writing and, chatting to you around the press box were advocating getting him in for Lacazette a few weeks ago. Um, are we seeing the benefit of that now? And do you think with what four games left, it's it's Eddie till the end of the season? 100%. There's no, you cannot take Eddie out of the team now. Um, it, you know, this, it was a change that should have happened a couple of weeks earlier. In, in my view, it's pretty clear that Laka was, was kind of done for now. It just wasn't working anymore. You know, what he was good at, teams had worked out and it was, impacting Arsenal and they needed something else up front and Eddie's delivered that you know fair play to him the goals at Chelsea I think have given him a real sort of confidence boost he hasn't scored since then I mean he should have done against United and he had one you know the offside goal that was ruled out but he did everything but score in that second half against uh, against West Ham and he just gave Arsenal another option that if Lacazette had been on the pit they just wouldn't have had that get out 
uh, ball that, you know, El Nenny, that for the chance that he put just wide, brilliant ball from El Nenny, but you imagine that was like to Lacazette. I mean, it would, it would just wouldn't have resulted in what it resulted in. And he's, he certainly put himself in the shop window. There's, there's no doubt about that. You know, I know that Arsenal probably, there will be talks between now and the end of the season or now in the summer and Arsenal will be keen to try and get him to stay. I, I doubt it will happen given how far down the line we are with, with this situation. I think it's pretty clear that his mind is made up and it'll take some big convincing to get him to stay, but he's having an impact at the crucial stage of the season. So if this does prove to be a swan song, then, you know, he's, he's, heading off into the sunset with uh, and he can hold his hold his head high because he's he's had a real impact at such a crucial stage of the season for Arsenal. I thought he was great against he was my he was my man of the match against attempt. Great maybe pushing it. He was very good at, at, amongst a, a lot of bad a, a bad bunch but especially in that second half I thought he really gave Arsenal an outlet. He works his socks off and he just caused West Ham problems. Declan Rice fuming at him at the end kind of summed it up. I think he got under their skin. He was, you know, he just, it'd been a really solid performance from him. And he deserved, he deserved a lot of credit, I thought. He looks a lot more mature player now in Ketia Art, in my opinion. And there was a bit towards the end, actually, I think it was highlighted on, on Match of the Day, too, where, you know, Arsenal were under the, under the pump and Ketia gets it sort of takes it out wide and wins a free kick and just slows the whole game down. I mean, how different are, do you think he is from even at the start of the season, the player we saw to the player we're seeing now? I think the main thing is he's playing with personality. I think when you see how he took to that start at Chelsea, he, he was on it from minute one. And I think he's just taken that into the games that he's played since. When you bring up that point, I think uh, of him, I, he actually took the ball in his chest under pressure and then uh, obviously went out wide and won the free kick off of Antonio. And that just shows, I think, the work that's been done since pre-season because I think it was just before um, the United game, I did ask Arteta about his more general um, play improving over the course of the season. And of course, there was a very small kind of sample size at that minute. But there were glimpses of, say, the way he received the ball was a lot cleaner um, throughout the season. So he was able to actually receive it on the turn rather than being someone who would have to receive the ball and then get out of his feet and then turn. And I think you saw that um, against Chelsea and United. And then even, say, at West Ham, you just, again, as Charles mentioned, have that different option to go in behind. And even though he didn't score, he was way more threatening than Lacazette has been for the past few months. Um, and I think just having that option is so beneficial. So yeah, as a as a striker, I think he's probably much more rounded now than he was even this time last year. And that's not just benefiting Arsenal, it's benefiting him because I think everyone knows his future's very much in his hands rather than Arsenal's. Um, so I mean, all all credit to him because I think it could have been very easy to just almost stay on the bench and and wait his time out. But he's actually showing not just Arsenal but other teams what he can can offer them. So we were talking about this on the way home, weren't we? After the game on Sunday, we were walking back to the train station, and it's like, what do you do if you're ready now? Because you either sign a contract with Arsenal, yes, you're not going to be, maybe not going to be the regular starter. Another striker will probably come in, but you get that 
you're still playing for Arsenal on a fairly regular basis. Or you go, you know, to a, a team lower down in the Prem or somewhere in Europe. And yes, you might be a starter, but are you going to be potentially competing for trophies, which you hope Arsenal might be under Arteta? It's, it's going to be a difficult decision for him. And um, I do wonder what these next few weeks, what Arsenal will do when they sort of sit down with Eddie and his agent and have one last chance to get him to stay and how convincing they can be about the future for him. I think it's really difficult. I, for me, I kind of wonder, I can completely understand why he wants to go and play. Um, I think at the age of 23, he could maybe he could maybe stay for sort of two more years and think I might be able to get into the team. But I think we're seeing now with, with modern players that, you know, even some of them is sort of 18, you know, look at players like Sancho, 17, 18 years old, deciding, no, I'm not waiting around for first team football. So I completely get why he's going to move. Um, I do agree, though. I think these these weeks will have been very interesting because they haven't panned out. I think how probably even Ketia thought. I imagine he thought I'll have sort of five, six cameo games, but he's probably going to start, you know, seven, eight games in a row and suddenly think, well, this is what could happen if things suddenly change. You know, you can get a ch- chance to be the number one strike. I don't think long term that's going to be his role at Arsenal, but I would be surprised if this hasn't made him think twice. Um We'll just finish, though, Art, with uh, a few words on Tommy Asu, who you've written about today for The Athletic. Um, very disappointed there's no mention of Eggman at all in the piece. <laughs> Whether the sub-editors took that out, I don't know. Um, but, yeah, he, he had a very good return, didn't he, on Sunday? And also, the point you were making, which you, you'll be able to do much more articulate than me, was the fact that with someone like Nuno, who, again, we saw on Sunday is um, pretty chaotic, um, and in that piece, you were mentioning how having Tommy Asu there might provide Nuno with a bit of freedom and security to be, you know, what he is, Eggman, be chaos. And um, do you think that will be crucial for the last few game season? It might help Nuno be a bit more, a bit more threatening. I think so, definitely, because when you consider even say the Chelsea game where Arteta had Ben White play at right back instead of. Cedric I think a big reason for that was because of the defensive security that he got with White not just because he could push out and be more of a right back in the back four and obviously a centre back in the back three but just because he wasn't having two very attacking fullbacks wingbacks whichever one you want to call it on on the pitch at the same time obviously he did later on in the game when Arsenal were able to kind of push forward more but when you're going to play against Leeds, Tottenham, Newcastle. You need some calm <laughs> on that pitch. Um, and I think even, say, after three months out, um, Tommy Asu brought that at Arsenal. He had a few moments that were a bit loose, but I think that was probably more down to just match sharpness than anything else. Um, but you just saw his decision-making is pretty much top-notch. All, not all the time, maybe nine times out of ten. Um those moments where Ben Rama tries to take him on one-on-one and he just gets his body in the way rather than backing off or diving in straight away. He, he just always seems so assured in what he does and that's with the ball at his feet as well. Um, so I think he'll just benefit Arsenal hugely and of course um, Tavares as well because he may have a bit more license to just push forward. I think there was even a moment... Um, in the second half, I, I was going to mention it in the piece, but I thought it just might clutter things too much. But he gets the ball and just one touch 
pushes it past um, Kufal and he's gone. The only thing that was missing was the delivery. And I think if you just get him in those situations where you can push high and get into those positions more often, then hopefully those moments where he does have to deliver, um, he can maybe tighten up a little bit. He obviously won't happen overnight. Um, he won't be getting like five assists in four games, but um, hopefully one of those times he gets down that wing, it would pay off like it did against United. Now this could age um, very badly considering how the four games go, but we're going to talk a bit about the Champions League and Arsenal playing in it and um, memories of them playing in it. Charles, give us... Give us some of your favourite memories of it. I mean, there's plenty to choose from. Um, producer Mark has written some down here. Wilshire against Barcelona, the run to the 2006 final, that game in Inter Milan, El Nene scoring in the new Camp. Um, <laughs> which of those? Which of those you you remember most fondly, Charles? And just yeah, the floor is yours. Take it away. Definitely not El Nene scoring in the new Camp. <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, there's so many. I mean, I was. I've only ever covered Arsenal for one game in the Champions League, and that was Bayern Munich 5-1. I'd just started, and that was the first game. We'd never been in it since. So um, so all my memories of Arsenal in the Champions League was a fan. And um, I think my favourite ever match that I've ever been to for Arsenal, watching Arsenal as a fan, was the 0-0, <laughs> goalless draw, against Real Madrid at Highbury in the run to 2006 final. Obviously, we won 1-0 at the Bernabeu with Henri and... Highbury, it was just such a special night at Highbury and, you know, against that great Real Madrid side, the atmosphere, the tension, you know, it's just, it was my favourite game. You can't find any real extended highlights of that match. It really bugs me. And it was a really good game. It had everything but a goal. And it's just, I just, on the drama of that night. And I remember that in the second half, they had a free kick, Madrid about 25 yards out, it's down in front of the clock end. And Beckham was over it and it was just the tension waiting for him to take the free kick. I'll never forget. It was just horror. I was bouncing up and down and uh, just wanting him to take the free kick. So I knew what had happened, but I couldn't just the thought of him scoring. I just wanted it to be over and done with. It was just, yeah, it was just a real special night. So that whole run to 2006 final was great. I mean, I was, I was in Paris for the final and it was heartbreaking. Um, But, you know, it's just a real, there's so many special memories. Uh, The Emirates, certainly the, Barcelona game, our shaving goal with, like, say, Wilshire's performance. And some of the some of the football played in like the the oh seven oh eight season. I remember the Slavia Prague game, seven seven nil seven one. I think it was. Some of the goals were scored in that game. There was just so many special. You know, it's just it's what the Emirates was built for, and hopefully it's going to be back there uh, very very soon. But you know, I'm certainly not counting my counting my chickens at this moment. <laughs> I think I don't know away away from home. The five one win at uh, into Milan was was very very special. Unfortunately, it didn't count for anything in the end, which kind of takes away from it a little bit. I think, but that's why I think the 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 Madrid game and that run getting to the final kind of just tops it for me. Yeah, what what are your memories are similar to Charles? Um, all of the Champions League games I've gone to are as a fan rather than uh, a reporter. I think the one that's I don't know, it's just come back to me like in the last two minutes is um, Marseille at the Emirates in 2013. Um, went there with two of my friends from school. We went straight from school, got on the on the overhead for, at Forest Hill straight to 
uh, Highbury and Islington went to the game and it was when Jack Wilshire was really starting to kind of find form again. Um, so it would have been around the time that of that Norwich goal. Um, and he scored against Marseille after like 30 seconds in the clock end where we were sitting. Um, and he scored again in, in the second half. And I think the reason it probably sticks out is because I, I reckon that's probably the only time he scored twice in the same game. Um, and I think, yeah, just thinking back to that, I think Champions League nights, obviously probably Europa League nights more recently, just give you that extra chance to see players that come through the academy um, get chances. And I think hopefully that's something that will um, return in the near future. Outside of that, um, obviously, uh, I feel like AC Milan away, uh, 2007, 2008, is one that kind of sticks in my head as well, as does um, Porto at home in 9-10 because of Sam Nesri's goal, as he's probably up there with uh, Arshavin and Wilshire as like one of my favourite early Emirates era players. So I thought I'd give those two matches a, a shout as well. I got to say that at, at the Villarreal quarterfinal as well was another one which is a really special night. A because Arsenal cruised it. I think it was one one in the first leg in Spain, and then they won three 0 in the second leg. And Walcott scored early and went on to win it three 0 And it was a day. It was Perez came back. He was playing for Villarreal that day, and he sort of came. I think he came off the bench. And it was just because the tension had gone because Arsenal were three 0 out and coming. It was just turned into like a Robert Perez. Uh, fanfare for like the final 20 minutes it was just a really special night uh, I thought that one it was a yeah that's that's I always think of that when I think of the Champions League as well didn't that happen with Eduardo as well when he came back with Shakhtar yeah he scored didn't he he scored yeah. I think five, <laughs> 5-1 or something and he sort of ran by getting their goal getting their goal so yeah that was another good one you kind of you did take it for granted again it was you know Wenger spoke about it a lot didn't you just that was a success Arsenal enjoyed under Arsene Wenger. It was just a given. It was a granted all those nights, all those games, year after year. And it just showed how difficult it actually was to keep, to maintain that consistency. And since they've slipped out, they've just, it's not happened since. So, yeah, hopefully, like we said, the next, the next few games pan out the way and we, we start seeing them again. I think fans took for granted getting pumped by Bayern Munich every year in the knockout <laughs> stages. So, need to bring that back. Um, I, me, I remember, I'll always remember the Arshavin goal against Barcelona. Um, I've not, I've not, not been to Emirates loads before I was working there, but I can't remember hearing it much louder than that. And um, I think that's the thing that Arsenal would have missed, is you know, and we've sort of seen it a bit in this Champions League run. There's a lot of fans who are like, you know, I'm. I'm sick going to games, the tension, everything. But this is what happens when you're competing at the, the top end of the table and you're competing in Champions League nights. You get that emotion and atmosphere that you just don't get in other games. Even in the Europa League, I think until you get to the sort of semi-final final, it's not the same tension going to a Europa League group game as it is as a, as a Champions League game. Um, and to, just to finish on this topic, Charles, I'm being slightly devil's advocate here. But is there any part of you that thinks... Maybe it'd be better if Arsenal were in the Europa League next season, you know, develop young players. No. An opportunity. <laughs> <laughs> Correct answer. <laughs> no, I'm, not, I'm not buying that one. I've heard it said a lot of times, but absolutely no, especially now I haven't got into the position that they've got themselves in now. You know, it'd just be it'd just be viewed as almost a failure. And the fact that it would be Tottenham who gets in ahead of them as well will make it doubly difficult to take. And 
And no, you look at what Villarreal have achieved this season. Yes, under a, a, a very experienced manager who knows exactly what it takes to be successful in Europe knockout competitions. Um, apart from if you're in, when he's in charge of Arsenal, but uh, there, there's always a chance. Look at when Arsenal got to the final in 2006. It was their, you know they finished they very nearly finished fifth that season. They're about 30 points off top. So there's always a chance as well. And you know Arteta, he's very good. He's very good tactically. And it will what it will give in terms of the, the possibility of improving the squad. No, absolutely not. There's no. They've got it's Champions League all the way. There's no. You don't. You ask that question to Arteta as well. What would you prefer, Europa League or Champions League? There's only <laughs> one answer coming out of his mouth there. If he's being very, very truthful, and it is definitely not the Europa League. Last, last bit on this art. Um, third option would of course be the Super League. Um, and given, I think Art, you are probably the youngest member on the Arsenal Beat pod, you must be one of those people who were told watches football on six second clips on Twitter and doesn't <laughs> enjoy the games. But as, as, a, as a journalist and as a fan, are you fully on board with this, you know, forget the Super League, Champions League's where the place to be? Yeah, I mean, I think a couple of weeks ago we had that um, Europe League, Champions League chat. And I think the word I used was backwards. Um, and I think I can just use that for the Super League as well. I, I don't think I, I actually forgot about it. To be fair, <laughs> um, <laughs> I don't think it's on anyone's radar who actually likes football. Um, so yeah, I just get back in the Champions League and see what happens there. Now we're going to finish with a round of guests, the Gooner. Um, Art looking for back-to-back wins uh, after beating Sam Dean last time, despite Sam's smear campaign and fake news <laughs> claiming that he uh, should have won. Um, so a reminder about the rules. I'm going to read out the facts, uh, as includes about an Arsenal player, past or present. I need you guys to call out your name and then you can have a guess. Get on your first guess, 10 points, second guess, 9 points, so on and so on. Right. Can I, say, can I just say, by the way, that Sam Dean should be dot points for his smear campaign. <laughs> <laughs> Absolute comfortable win for Art. I mean, you just throw a random noise out there and suddenly you're expecting, <laughs> you're expecting to, get, to get the win. So, no, absolutely. It was a deserved victory for Art. Last, uh, uh, I, I've got a feeling Sam, Sam will be listening at home being like, yeah, I, I won this round as well, even though he wasn't playing. But <laughs> Right. We will kick off. He's going to do a Harry Kane swear on (laughs) people's lives. (laughs) Right. We're going to kick off with the first clue. I made 69 appearances for Arsenal, scoring six goals. Alex Oxlade Chamberlain. (laughs) (laughs) There's a joke, by the way. Uh, I have won league titles in two countries, including my homeland. Those two title wins came a decade apart. I collected 90 senior international caps. I made my Arsenal debut in a 2-0 defeat to Manchester City. 
I once had a training ground bust up with Marco Arnautovic. I feel like I should know this. Yeah, so do I. I'm so terrible at this game, man. <laughs> <laughs> I was with I was Massiman, Massimiliano Allegri's first signing as uh, AC Milan manager. Uh, oh, it's in. Oh. Uh, wait. Oh, no. <laughs> I, I've got the club wrong. I'm just, I know it's wrong. Uh, Lipsteiner. I was going to say Lipsteiner, but it's In, not Incorrect. Next clue. I scored in Mikel Arteta's first victory as Arsenal head coach. Charles. Yeah. Papa. He's correct. <laughs> Socrates, the Spartan oh, warrior, is it? Mixed zone warrior. Oh. Yeah. I've just just had a text from Sam saying he got it after the third guess. So unlucky, guys, but you don't win this week. So sorry about that. Um, the final clues for anyone else who was playing along at home. Uh, I won the 2020 FA Cup having come on as a late substitute. I was left out of Arsenal's Premier League squad for the 2020-21 season. I was named the best young player in Greece in 2008. Thank you guys for that. Uh, very enjoyable. While the men's team continue in their quest for a top four finish, the women's Super League title race looks gets, looks like it's going to go down to the wire and a North London derby at the Emirates on Wednesday night should be a super game. Join us on Thursday to look back on that special night for Jonas Edeval as his players as well and we'll preview the Premier League visit of Leeds to the Emirates on Sunday. But until then... Thanks for listening.